Gordon. This is for the culture. Topics we speaking on, take it easy. Breaking down barriers, building bridges of need. Father, stretch your hands to youth out of your reach. This the Mecca, Gordon's lecture is glowing up to their seats. Let's begin upon a topic. And since we going hard in, it should take off like a rocket. Extra drip leaking faucet. Heart ain't on my sleeves because my brain's not in the closet. This one about capital. Tell me what's in your wallet. This the Mecca. Yes, sir. Diamonds made from pressure. I'll make it real for you if you take your time to dress up. Postal service attitude. That's how I address you. Rain down with gratitude and pray it's an umbrella. The Mecca. Yeah. Welcome everyone to the Mecca Podcast. I'm Darius Thomas and I'll be your host for this episode. We hope that all of you enjoyed Dr. Leonard Moore in our inaugural show. And if you're like me, you have plenty to take away from the conversation with him. For this episode, we have a treat for all of you as well. We will be doing a multi-part series with some very special guests from the Mecca group. And you'll definitely not want to miss this. We will begin with part one of the Get Your Life episode as we discuss resumes, interviewing, and the art of networking. Now, it may seem like the topic is solely geared towards our rising stars, but even those of us with experience can pull from our conversation with Juliana Smith of Colgate University. All of that and more when the Mecca Podcast returns. You're listening to the Mecca Podcast, Episode 2, Part 1 of Get Your Life, Resumes, Interviewing, and the Art of Networking. Looking for something new to read? Well, Mecca has you covered. Here's a list of suggested reading. Becoming by Michelle Obama. Be You by Marcus Sedberry. Broke Millennial by Aaron Lowry. And you win in the locker room first. The seven C's to build a winning team in business, sports, and life by John Gordon and Mike Smith. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mecca Podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest for part one of this episode. Someone I've known for quite some time. We have with us Juliana Smith, Senior Associate Athletics Director and Chief of Staff at Colgate University. Juliana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. First things first, peak hiring season is approaching. We know a lot of people will be looking for jobs. A lot of people will be finishing school and a lot of schools or institutions will be looking to hire new people. So we thought it would be very vital to have someone like yourself on to talk about some of the things that people in human resources and some of the hiring managers look for when looking for these candidates. So what are some of the things that you look for specifically when looking for these applicants? I think one of the first things that jumps out at me when I look at a cover letter or resume is just the formatting um, of the document. Is it consistent with the role that this individual is applying to For instance, if you're a graphic designer, are there graphic elements included in those documents? And or if you're a communications um, person, is there are there typos or um, is your name clear enough um, that I know who you are and um, 
who have you addressed the letter to, your cover letter? Is that the hiring committee? Is it the person who's hiring for the position? Is it to whom it may concern? Um, hint, it should not be to whom it may concern. But um, just at first glance, those are some of the, the couple of elements that I look at when reviewing uh, resume or application materials. Interesting enough that you say that because a lot of times the applicant may not know who the hiring manager is or who to address. So what's the best or safest way to address the person who is hiring? That is a great question. I think the first option is to simply Google the position and see, like if you're looking in the actual um, posting, it may indicate um, to whom the position reports. And I think that's always safe to address the letter to the supervisor for that role. The supervisor may or may not be leading the search. Most times the supervisor is, however. Another option would be to address the athletics director, depending on um, the level at which you're applying for the position. So I I wouldn't recommend that necessarily maybe for a graduate assistant position, um, but that's also somewhat of a safe bet because you're applying to work under the leadership of that athletics director. Um, Another fun fact is that you can call HR and ask who the position reports to or maybe who's leading the search. And the last option, or it may not even be a last option, it may be number two or number three that I would recommend, is to try to find or connect with someone who works at that institution or who has institutional knowledge who can provide a better name um, or group of individuals in order to um, address the letter to. Awesome information. So this episode specifically is geared more towards the rising stars and and people who uh, may be early in their career. It also gives us a chance to kind of mentor them on how to go through the application process and be prepared for those jobs. What is some advice that you would give on how to make themselves more attractive or stand out when applying for these positions? That's a great question. I think one of the things that I notice rising stars or people who are young in the profession doing with their application materials is underselling themselves. So they may not have longevity in their experience, but they have experience and they've developed skills through those experiences. And I think oftentimes, um, especially in the cover letter, many young professionals um, don't utilize that space um, in a way that's productive. And what I would say would be productive is to pull the skills that were gained um, from those experiences that are listed on the resume Um, talk about those skills, and then tie those skills back to the requirements or the competencies required to do the job that they're applying for. Um, It's great that they can list the jobs that they had or projects that they've worked on, um, but it only matters to the hiring manager if they can connect that experience to an experience that the person um, would have for the position that they're applying to. One thing you often hear from folks who may not have a lot of full-time professional experience is, how do I gain the skills and knowledge necessary to get that job X and for X amount of years in the field? Having been a student, a GA, or an intern, what are some suggestions of things they may be able to do to become eligible or prepare themselves for those entry-level jobs that may be looking for a couple of years of experience in that particular area or in athletics in general? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I would suggest um, 
off the bat is being willing um, and happy to work for free. Um, that's, that's, I think, a, a dying trait in our industry nowadays as um, more and more positions are being created, um, especially at the entry level, um, at the entry level. And what I learned when I was a graduate assistant, even though that was a paid position, I had two other positions either within my department or in the community that I also worked um, to, to just bolster my resume and to get that experience. I think that um, if an individual is in a major city, um, it's really great to get involved with like a local um, facility, whether it be a stadium or arena, whether you're event staff um, or something along those lines where you're able to maybe work some events. So like college football playoff or um, one of the regional um, games for an NCAA tournament or even a conference tournament. Um, those are the ways that you learn to build relationships um, and to gain more experience, even if it's not a extended period of time. Like you saw, you were able to see the way um, a tournament is run, or even if it's just um, the player pass guest entrance of a of a tournament that you don't see anything else besides that table where you're checking in and giving credentials or tickets to um, to a player's family or something along the um, something along those lines. Um, it's something. And I think being always um, present, um, oftentimes what I realized um, transitioning from being a student athlete to being a graduate assistant is that there's this new space called time, <laughs> which you don't really have as a student athlete. And so when you be, when you start to work, um, there's, there's lots of time that's left because either you're limited on hours, they don't want to pay overtime or something like that. You can get out and do stuff, even if it means that you're on campus volunteering um, for other organizations and things of that nature. And then going back to what I was talking about, the cover letter, like you're gaining skills. You're learning how to work with people. The more you work with pe people, the better you are at working with people. Um, and if nothing else, that's one of the greatest skills that anyone could learn in any experience. So um, there's something to be learned from every experience had. And just because it's not athletics doesn't mean um, the skills that you gain from that can't be applied to a position that you're applying to within athletics. Right. So the big question that they may also have is, how long should my resume be? Whether it's a GA or an intern, they may not have a lot to put on there. Or someone who may be looking to go from that entry-level position to that second-tier job that requires maybe three to five years of work experience. For someone who's an intern or early in their career and may still consider themselves a rising star, how long for the resume? Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably going to be an unpopular um, answer, but it depends. <laughs> and it depends on the type of experience you have. It depends on the experiences that you have that are tied directly or can be tied directly to the position that you're applying, applying to. Um, what I don't suggest is just putting fluff in a resume. Like if there are things, experiences that you have had that are not related to what you're wanting to portray about yourself and about your ability to do the job that you're applying for, you should leave it out. Um, so maybe your time as a summer camp counselor for church when you were 14 isn't the most relevant experience to include on your resume if you're applying for, let's say, a graphic design position or 
um, a compliance position. Um, technically, you could pull some stuff out of there. Like It's funny, as soon as I said compliance, I'm like, well, you had to probably deal with laws as it relates to um, minors at a camp. You probably had to go through CPR. You probably So there are a number of things that actually I would have pulled from out of there that I could apply to athletics. So it really just depends um, on the type of experience that you have. I think for interns, it's important to keep it to one page because um, there are so many people who apply for intern or um, graduate assistant positions that hiring managers simply don't have the time um, to read more than one page. And at that point in your career, there isn't much more that you have to say beyond your cover letter and resume. Um, so I'd say that about interns. I'd say for the young professionals in our industry, two pages is fine, but as a hiring manager, it better be worth it if I have to turn this page to see something else on the on the second page of your resume. Um, if you have your athletics achievements and community service and professional organizations on your second page, I'd argue that's not as important to me as things that are on your first page. And um, not saying don't include it, but I think just a rule of thumb would be um, assume that they're not going to read the second page of your resume. And then that helps you maybe tailor how you present the information that's on your first page. Yeah, that's great advice. So shifting from applying to interviewing, what are some of the top three to five tips or advice you would give someone on preparing for an interview, whether it's phone, Skype or an in-person interview? Mm-hmm. I would start with do your research and... Um... I know many people may hear that a lot, and what does that actually mean? Um, at the most basic level, I would say understand what the position is that you're applying for um, and subsequently interviewing for. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on a phone interview or a Skype interview, and it was clear two or three questions in that the person had not grasped what the actual position would be doing functionally for our department. Um and oftentimes the resume is written ambiguously because um, we are we can and want the flexibility to tailor um, the position to the person that we hire based on the skills and strengths that they bring to the table. And that's different from candidate to candidate. Um, but really understanding how the role, where the, maybe where the role sits in the org chart, which you can pretty much find from the staff directory, um, maybe looking at ways in which or ways in which the depart the position interacts with other departments just to get a better sense or grasp of um, the complexity of that role um, and if through research whether that be online um, speaking to people who may have familiarity with that type of position so it may not be that position specifically but that type of position in our industry for the most part Many positions mirror one another from institution to institution. It may change depending on the size of the of the school or um, the how large um, the athletics department is and if it's power five or, or not power five. Um, so those things may um, shift um, how the role function in a department. But for the most part, like a communications person is a communications person is a communications person that's assigned sports or supports someone who's assigned sports or an athletic trainer is an athletic trainer is an athletic trainer. So for the most part, positions are pretty consistent from um, from institution to institution. So that would be one place I would start. Um, another place I would start is don't be afraid to ask when you're offered the interview 
who's going to be included in that interview session. Um, it should be a welcome question from the person offering you the interview. And, um, and that just shows that you want to be prepared. So you're already making an impression on that hiring manager that you like to be prepared and ready um, for any situation that you know you're you're involved in, so um, ask who's involved in the interview and do research on them. Um, and I think just as a, a side note to that, be careful with the research that you gather on those um, committee members who are going to be in that interview, and not to just regurgitate that information. Um, I've been in interviews where you know, people have listed off former teammates of mine or former colleagues of mine um, in a way that it just did not make sense for the context of that interview or that question. It was almost like they they were trying to um, insert information that um, that they had done the research and that they knew this information, but it didn't contribute to their actual interview. So just be um, cautious when um, when doing that. Um, I think one of the one of the other ways that I would recommend um, being prepared for an interview is to know why you want the job. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to convince the hiring manager that you want the job and that you're the best person for the job. Um, I end every all of my interview sessions um, with um, why are you interested in this position um, at this time at this institution and then why should we hire you? And if you don't know either one of those things, um, it doesn't matter anything else you say um, for me in that interview. So those are just a few of the I guess my top tips that I would give about preparing, preparing for an interview. That's awesome. Well, we'll take a quick break, but when we return, we'll take some questions from some of our Mecca Rising Stars on episode two of the Mecca Podcast. Coming up next on the Mecca Podcast, we'll be taking questions from our inbox and social media. Have a question for our host or guest of the Mecca Podcast? send us an email to mechapodcast at gmail.com. That's M-E-C-A podcast at gmail.com. Or you can submit it via Twitter. The handle is at mechapodcast. We're back with Juliana Smith on the Mecca Podcast, episode two, part one of Get Your Life. We'll now take a few questions from some of our rising stars. Our Juliana, first we have a question from Amanda E. She asks, what would your top three tips be for a cover letter? Understand, tailor it to the job description. But are you looking for us to provide examples of how we exemplify those qualifications from our own experiences? That's a great question. I think um, one of the things that I would recommend for a cover letter is um, is to amplify how what you are bringing to this position is different than anyone else um, and what they could bring to this position. Um, I think oftentimes we're taught um, probably by university career centers, not even athletics people, to um, to talk about like our experience as student athlete and time management and things of those nature. And that's great, but how many other student athletes are applying to that exact same job? So why, how are, why are you different? Um, and why should I take, it, take a look at you closer than taking a look at the next person who says they're a student athlete or who's at, had experience at this particular institution that, may, that we may consider to be a peer institution? So, um, so why, why are you the best person for the position? 
Um, and not just because you're passionate about athletics. If I see that phrase anymore in resumes and cover letters. Um, but I think, I think it's important to understand and e- explain why you are the best person for the position and what that position would contribute to your career development if this is an entry-level type of position. Um, so in that, you can include what your career goals are and how this position will help um, you grow as a professional to get to match those career goals. And even um, thinking about, I would you talked about tailoring the cover letter to the position. Um, I think tailoring it to... Um, the position, yes, but maybe also the type of institution, like what allowed you or encouraged you to apply to that position at that institution and what makes that institution unique, um, I think is good to um, try to portray if that's something that's significant for you. Um, I think oftentimes we find that um, cover letters um, start to feel a little cookie cutter. Um, it's It's pretty much easy to recognize when someone uses the same cover letter from position to position and just replaces the school name or the position title, um, sometimes because they forget to replace the school name or the position title. Um, but I think tailoring that letter to the school, to the position, and to what you uniquely bring um, or can offer is very important. And um, do not just restate what's in your resume. Do not, do not, do not. You can reference certain positions, but do not go chronological. Do not um, reference that in detail. Yeah, that's good stuff. Next, we have a question from Crystal C. She asked, for an upcoming young professional in this industry that's never had a full-time job, how should we set ourselves up to get that full-time job? I'm assuming that Crystal and people like her are in a position, it's just not full-time. So whether it be volunteering or in an internship or a graduate assistantship. So they are working in the industry. And so I'm going to answer the question as such. Um, and so one of the thing, one of the tips that I give to former graduate assistants that um, I've worked with is to not make connections Um, only when you're beginning to start applying to jobs. So oftentimes, graduate assistants get this position. They come in wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they want to learn everything. They want to do everything, and that's so awesome. But then they delay their intentionality as it relates to building relationships with people that they work with, work for, and work around. And I think that that's almost where you need to start. So if I'm getting into an – if I'm starting – to work for an organization and I'm wanting to learn more about the organization and my job, the best way to do that is to talk to people who surround that job. And so building those relationships early on, I think is really important because when you get to your into your first year, if you're an intern, or when you get to your third or fourth semester as a graduate assistant and you're starting to apply to positions, and one, you need someone to make a phone call on your behalf, or maybe you write a recommendation letter or asking them to serve as a reference, it's much easier to have that conversation with someone who you've built a relationship with for the last year or two years rather than the last three or four months. So um, that would be my my greatest um, answer to that question. All right. Last one comes from Brianna C. Did you already know someone that helped you get a position? If so, how did you capitalize on that opportunity? So... That's an interesting question. The first opportunity that 
I've taken advantage of that I knew someone who helped me get the position is the position that I'm currently in. And that was because my former supervisor um, was hired as an athletics director. And we, since we had worked together before, we knew we wanted to work together again. And this was her opportunity to hire a team that she wanted. Um, and she's, and she wanted to, to have me on her team. And so I think um, that was a special situation because not very many people are getting hired as athletics directors because um, there just are a cap on how many positions there are there. And so um, I would I would say that was interesting because coming in, um, I may have seemed as inexperienced or have, having less, less experience than those who would be my peer colleagues um, in our department. But I think what helped is that um, my direct supervisor knew my capacity as an administrator and um, trusted my decision-making skills and abilities and um, respected my work production and what I was able to do. And so because there was an assuredness um, for her, I felt secure in taking the position and knowing that um, and trusting that our relationship was such that she would not hire me into a position that she didn't think I was capable of succeeding in. And so there was some security for me in knowing that I'm here for a reason and I just need to do do a good job and do what I know to be the best job that I can do. And when I don't know, I can ask questions and be okay with asking questions um, because we don't, none of us know all the answers. Even if you're the athletics director or the commissioner, you don't have all the answers, which is why you surround yourself with people who are knowledgeable and smart and different from you. Um, because they can bring a different perspective and they can help you be better as a leader um, and as as an employee. I would say um, in other situations that I've been in where I didn't have um, the advantage of someone knowing me before I was hired for the position, I felt very honored to be selected for the role, but at the same time knew that I did everything that I could to make myself the most attractive candidate for the position. And so because I had this security, going back to the security, in knowing that I was able to adequately display and um, exhibit my capabilities of being successful in this role and contributing to the organization, going in, it was easy for me to be confident in what I was doing or what I was asked to do because it was, from my perspective, an unbiased um, in, in objective interview process that ended with me being the successful candidate because I was the best candidate, period. Um, so there, that's also helpful in knowing that I am the most qualified person to do this job as assessed by the search committee or this particular um, this particular hiring manager. Um, one of the things that you can't, um, I guess, control is how others receive you, um, whether you knew the person who was hiring you or whether you're brand new and no one knows who you are, um, is that you have to assume that there may be someone else <laughs> in that department who may have wanted that position or someone who knew someone who wanted that position and didn't get it. And um, you have to know that that's not your problem <laughs> and how they perceive who you are, your capability to do the job. 
Um, that's that's not your issue. That's that's their issue that they have. And at the end of the day, you still have to step up and do what's being required of you. Um, and I and I don't see this often. Um, I can't say I've ever seen it um, in real life or at a place that I actually worked um, and witnessed it firsthand, where someone was granted an opportunity um, because of a relationship that they had, or someone, um, or through you know a couple of degrees of separation, and they just weren't good. Um, not very often. This industry is so small and people aren't willing to put their name on the line for people who are just like terrible workers or not great people. Um, I'm That's my personal perspective. That may be different for people who may have been in the industry a little bit longer than I have or have worked at a number of different places um, or maybe that places that have different culture than places that I've been in the past. Um, but that's typically not the case. And so um, from my perspective, um, you have to know that you're there for a reason and that you're there not only because um, you knew someone, but because you're capable of doing the job or someone thinks that you're capable of doing a job. So even if you haven't necessarily demonstrated that in your past experiences or your past experiences do not lend itself to clearly show that you have been successful doing that job before, you have to trust that whoever was interviewing you or who um, gave you the nod for the position saw it in within you that you could be successful at the position and there has to be some some level of confidence in that um, and also to not be satisfied with that like they you've gotten in the door but what got you in the door is not going to keep you in the seat so you got to make sure that you continue to advance as a professional to continue to build those relationships because at the end of the day that relationship may have gotten you one position it may not get you the next position so um, you will have to do the work and continue to build your portfolio as a professional and your network and that ladies and gentlemen are the gems of juliana smith juliana thank you so much for taking out the time to come on the show to give our rising stars some motivation and advice on how they can land that next job you're very welcome and um if anyone wants to contact me they can shoot me an email at jbsmith at colgate.edu or they can find me in a mecca group and that'll do it for this episode of the mecca podcast part one of get your life resumes interviewing and the art of networking on part two, we will have two very special guests who will talk about internal and external candidates and what they look for in those applicants. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Mecca Podcast. That's M-E-C-A Podcast. Thanks for listening. The music for this episode of the Mecca Podcast was brought to you in part by Truth Gordon and the My Crown Music Group.